As you prepare for retirement, you'll be faced with many important choices. We want you to make the right ones. Welcome to Financial Choices Matter with Charles Scott. Charles is an accredited investment fiduciary. He's well-equipped to help you make sound financial decisions. We want you to experience a meaningful retirement. On our podcast, we believe financial choices matter. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Financial Choices Matter with Charles Scott. I'm Mark Haywood alongside Charles Scott. He is a fiduciary advisor at Peloton Capital Management, serving you in Scottsdale. You can find him online at pelotoncapital.com. That's pelotoncapital.com. Or you can reach out, call the office 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. And don't worry, we'll give all that information out a little later in the podcast, or you can just scroll back and hear it all this. Charles, with that, hello. How you doing? Welcome into the show. Thanks, Mark. I'm glad to be here, and we've got some interesting stuff I hope to talk about today, so we should have some fun. Let's do. Let's dive right in. I want to kick it off with a bit of news. Extra, extra, read all about it. Well, Charles, let's do have a little bit of fun. Let's just see what's happening in the world around us. I love seeing whether some of these headlines might apply to our finances. Charles, David Walker, former Comptroller General of the United States. I'm thinking of a Seinfeld episode when I think Comptroller General. But uh, he says that the federal government spending is completely out of control and that there is no party of fiscal responsibility in America anymore. Some strong words. Are there any financial implications to this in your mind to us, for us? Yeah, I totally agree with David Walker. And for those of you that might not know what the heck the comptroller of the, yeah, of what the a United title. States is, he served under two different presidents, Republican and a Democrat. So he's pretty agnostic from a political perspective. But a comptroller, uh, the comptroller general's responsibility, he's sort of like the CPA of the country. He is not so, moving around any troops. There's no troop movements going on with no, the comptroller general, no, not military. No, he was just alarmed by the amount of money that's being spent. And I think justifiably so. That is a big deal as far as we're concerned. And that's one of the primary tenets that when we talk to clients about things is making sure they understand the probability of what's likely to happen to the income tax rates. You know, we got them cut at the end of 2017. And this past year, 2018, is you're going to see the first impact of that when you get your taxes done as we move into this 2019 year. But the U.S. debt is a big deal. And, you know, it's about $22 trillion right now. That's with a T, trillion. It's a bunch. That's the current debt. You know, I, I guess you could say you never met a political party that didn't like to spend more money, you know, whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats. And this is a totally agnostic conversation as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, you've got this monstrous amount of debt. It, it's growing every minute. And if you've never seen this website, I suggest you go take a look at it. It's the usdebtclock.com. Org. That's U.S. debt with a D-E-B-T, like how much you owe, usdebtclock.org. It's fascinating because it's live, it's dynamic, it shows you how much on a second-by-second -second basis all of this debt is accumulating. And it's really interesting to watch, and there's a ton of information on there. One of the more interesting numbers on that website is not just the current $22 trillion of unfunded debt, you know, those dollars are being spent on Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the national defense, the interest on the national debt, all of those things to run the federal government. But the really interesting number to me is the future unfunded debt, which is, if I remember rightly, kind of down towards the bottom in the middle of the web page. 
that's all the debt that we know we're going to have to pay. All the bills that are going to come due someday in the future. Not now, but then. And that's $122 trillion. Now, that's even, you know, it's five times worse. So this is not something that you need to take lightly. This is something that, in my opinion, is a really, really big deal. And you need to understand what it is right now, what the impact of this is potentially going to be on you going forward. And I could be wrong, but I just don't think so. You're going to see tax rates go up. David Walker said, as he was leaving the government and going into you know, private service, he was talking about the fact that if they don't raise the tax rates, and this was before they just got reduced by the Trump administration, if they don't raise the tax rates by twofold, if they don't double the taxes, there's no way in the world that we're ever going to get out of this debt mess. And it's just, you know, the government kicks a can down the road. That's the way they operate, seemingly, and that's been going on for a long time. Not blaming re Republicans, not blaming Democrats, just blaming government in general. They have no desire, no willingness to stop spending more money than they bring in. So that's what happens. It's a big deal. You know, it's going to impact your taxes in the future. It's just going to. There's no question about it. You can go back and look at the historical tax rates for a long time in the in the 70s. And I can't remember the exact time frame, but when I first started really coming into the job market, the highest marginal tax bracket was 70%. And that's being talked about again. And, you know, we're into the new year and the new the new Congress has been seated and there's already talk among, and it comes from the Democratic side. I get that. But about raising taxes. So just be aware. I think, you know, we've got taxes where they are for the next couple of years, but beyond that, it's going to be questionable whether they're going to stay where they are. So I, you know, taxes are on sale. Try and take advantage of it. Truly a nonpartisan issue. It's so funny that you talk about the debt clock because I've had buddies on both sides, seriously, seriously, who when so-and-so is in office and they, you know, when President Obama was in office and they didn't like him, they said, look at the debt clock, look how much it's going up. And before that, when it was President Bush, I had buddies saying, look how much debt he's adding to the debt clock. And I'm sitting there the entire time thinking, who cares? Just somebody do something about it right? at the end of the day. But well, it's, it's going to keep going up at the current trajectory. Oh, yeah. And it's scary. It really is. And there seems to be absolutely no willingness on the part of politicians to do anything about it. You know, it's the classic, we're going to argue about it and do nothing. Sure, so, you sure. know, that's the world we live in. We just need to know how to take advantage of it. Yep. It's so true. My my wife and I, we live in a very small townhouse community, so this is not big money or anything like this, but she's the president on the HOA. And so they're going through the budget. They had a yearly budget meeting just last night, and they project out, right, in the same way you would with national debt and whatnot when things are going to come due. And in 2048, we are projected, our budget is basically projected to run out. I'm not talking about going into the red. I'm talking about bankruptcy for the HOA. And that's a big problem. And so she's trying to change it. And nobody's wanting to listen, you know, and they just want to keep it on the current trajectory. And we're thinking, well, luckily for us, we probably won't live here in 2048. But man, I mean, <laughs> do something different. Yeah, got to make some changes. They're not going to be easy, but they have to be done at some point in time. Yes. And again, like I've said, in the meantime, take advantage of what's available right now. So, you know, that's what we talk to clients about all the time. Yep. It's all about controlling what you can control. And that's something that we seek to help you do in your finances daily. Anyway, Charles and I will get off our soapboxes now. We'll continue on with the show. How about we take a question from the mailbag? It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. Okay. 
Alright, let's take a question from Angie in Scottsdale. Angie says, I'm retiring at 60, but would like to delay the start of my social security until I'm at least 66, but is it unwise for me to live solely off my savings for that many years? It's a question that comes up periodically, not in exactly that form, Angie, but it is on the minds of a lot of people that are in your age bracket and we have these conversations with them. And this is the classic question that seems to be a one point question of, is this a good idea or not a good idea? And I'm going to give you my classic answer because it is, in my opinion, the answer that matters the most. And that is, it all depends on your situation. I don't know enough from what you've told me to know exactly, you know, if this is a good idea or a bad idea. Do you have enough money and savings to be able to do this? Are you healthy enough? I guess it would be, are you healthy enough and wealthy enough to delay taking social security? You do you know, your full retirement age, if in fact it is 66, that's the optimal time frame. You could also delay till you're 70 and your social security benefit is going to go up by 8% a year minimum guaranteed for that period of time. But that might not be the best answer for you. You know, your health issues, your family health history may be something that would say to you that maybe we should be taking it earlier rather than later. You know, delaying is not always the right answer, but for most people, most of the time it is. And then how many dollars do you have stuck away? Can you live on that? Are you going to be comfortable? Have you figured out exactly how much it costs you every month to live? Uh, So these are the kinds of things that these are the questions that when people are thinking they're asking a black and white question and expecting just a black or white answer, it's not that way. I mean, I've said this before in a previous podcast. It's a dynamic moving target and we never know. You can't predict the future, but you can certainly find out exactly where you are right now and see if you, if, you know, if that is indeed the best idea. If it is, then we can go with it. And if it's not, then you need to do something that at least is going to be adjustable. You know, you've got to be able to make changes as, as life changes going forward. So uh, it's a good question. It is a pretty standard question that gets a very non-standard and a way more complicated answer than you were probably expecting. So while I don't apologize for the length of the answer, <laughs> it's the, it, it is what you need to be considering, Angie. So thank you for asking the question. And hopefully this just gives you more food for thought. And, uh, you know, we'd be happy to talk to you about it in person. Give us a call. Well, you nailed it, Charles. So many of these questions lead to these much deeper and broader discussions that get at so many elements of our lifestyles and our financial planning um, and our financial plans. And I think that's why it really is best to come in and have these conversations in person and get into the nitty gritty so you can really get an understanding of your overall situation. Thanks for writing in, Angie, for sure. All right, Charles, let's dive into some shades of gray area. 50 shades of gray area is what the producers have dubbed this segment. Uh, we'll let you Let's let's keep it let's keep it clean. Yes, we'll let you draw what you will from that. But uh, that's just to say not everything in financial planning is black and white, right? In fact, we I think we just saw some of that with that question. But in fact, most things aren't black and white. There's so many elements to consider in financial planning. There's so many gray areas. Let's just go through some of those things that maybe people debate, maybe people have questions about, but there are just no clear answers sometimes. So as an example, somebody comes to you and says, I want to pay off my house early. Maybe you're about to retire. Maybe you've just retired and you're close. You can go ahead and pay it off. Should you do that or not? Maybe. <laughs> it depends. This is going to be the theme of today. I was it about depends. to say warning. There's going to be a lot of maybes today. Uh, there's going to be, yeah, there always are. People want, again, uh, to, to be 
as a follow up to the mailbag question, you know, this is one of those things where people want to, should I or shouldn't I? Is this that they want a black and white answer? Life's not that way. You can't have an app that just solves all these things for you when there are all these kinds of variables. You know, should you pay it off early? You have to realize then that the equity in your house doesn't really grow, that, you know, you, you create equity by paying down a mortgage and the, the appreciation of the value, but the equity itself may not be the best thing to do. Are you going to live there for a long time? Are there other things that you should be doing with the house? So many more questions than just that one go along into that kind of a question. And again, I can't emphasize enough. It's one of those things you just need to talk about. You can't stick something in a spreadsheet and have the answer because life's not an life is not an algorithm. It just doesn't work that way. So yeah, maybe you should. Maybe that's the best idea, paying off the house. Maybe it's not. So I don't know, <laughs> but but we can find out. That's that's the beauty of really doing comprehensive planning. All right. What about Roth conversions? Should you do them or not? And maybe explain what a Roth conversion is. A Roth conversion takes money from a traditional IRA that you have never paid income tax on. It's a pre-tax dollar and it converts it to a Roth, which is a, in the simplest of terms, it's an after-tax dollar. But you, when you convert it from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, you're going to have to pay tax on it because the government wants their pound of flesh. After that, after you've done that, then you never pay tax on the Roth again. The growth and the money coming out after that singular pay it now, get it over with thing is never taxed. So that's what a Roth conversion is. Is it a good idea? For most people, most of the time, my answer would be yes, absolutely. Uh, just pay the tax today, get it over with, then you never have to worry about it again. It can continue to grow for you. You can invest it in the same way. It's just, it becomes tax-free, which is not a bad idea. All right, Charles, going on down our list here of things that perhaps are gray areas in financial planning. Again, no clear answers. So if you're wanting a clear opinion on some of these, you might just have to come in and talk about your situation with Charles and get a little more into the details before he can give you a, hey, this is what's best for you because so many of these, it really just depends. And I think you'll hear that a lot. But this is a big one, a big debate here. Term life or permanent life insurance? Which one is best? Which one is a better fit, et cetera? That to me ends up being, in some respects, a simpler conversation because it again depends on a couple of circumstances. If you're younger, you have kids, you've got your whole career ahead of you, learning, I mean, earning wise, um, you probably want to pay the least that you possibly can for the most insurance to make sure that if something unforeseen happens, and you know, life insurance is basically death insurance, uh, and that's what term is, that's the most cost effective way to do it especially when you're younger and you have a lot of debt. You've got kids, you want to pay for college, you've got a mortgage, you've got all these other things. You lose earning power, obviously, when you're dead and your spouse needs to have some compensation from that and minimize that risk. As you get older, to be honest, it gets more expensive as you get older. Term insurance does also. And permanent life insurance, something that will build cash value, ends up being maybe not a bad idea. Those dollars that, you know, that cash value that gets built up in a permanent life insurance policy, whether it's whole life or index universal life, I mean, there's several different variations of it. Those dollars, when you decide some down, somewhere down the road to take them out, are tax-free dollars. So, you know, that's something that needs to be considered. You're going to pay more for insurance. That's why sometimes a blend of term insurance and permanent life insurance, whole life insurance makes the most sense. It just depends on what the objective is you're trying to accomplish. 
you know, like I just said, it just depends. I have no qualms at all about making recommendations for permanent life insurance because it falls into that. This whole podcast sort of has the theme of, is this a tax advantaged opportunity? And my contention is, yeah, can very well be. So you've got, you know, when you have permanent life insurance, what you really have is you have living insurance. It's for li it's, it's insurance and it's cash value for while you're alive, as opposed to term insurance, which is really just purely a death benefit. But again, it, that might be what's the most appropriate for you, given where you are in life. All right. And Charles, continuing that conversation on insurance, what about long-term care insurance? Is that something you should buy as you age and health issues start to become a problem? We're pretty big advocates of having long-term care insurance. And it's an interesting conversation to have with people because most of the time, if you ask them if they think they're ever going to need it, then they will say, no, they're not. But statistically, 70% of the people need some form of long-term care during their lifetime. It might be on a short-term basis. It might be on a long-term basis, but they're going to need some kind of care. And the question is, do you have enough dollars available to pay for it out of pocket? Because a lot of times people will say, well, I should self-insure. If you're looking at long-term care insurance, because as we live longer, then longevity becomes an issue, uh, not mortality as an issue as you age, but potentially morbidity morbidity being the fact that you're going to get sicker. You know, the whole dementia, Alzheimer's issue is becoming more and more prevalent as people live just longer and longer. That gets really expensive. And so the, the answer, the solution can in fact be long-term care insurance. And to complicate the issue, if it's not already complicated enough, then you have several different versions of how you would have that long-term care insurance. It might be a standard old-fashioned long-term care policy. It could be an annuity that has a long-term care-like benefit, a chronic care benefit that where you could tap the value of the annuity to pay for long-term care insurance. It could be life insurance that has the same kind of benefit attached to it to pay for long-term care costs. Because if you go into a private nursing home here in the Maricopa County, you're probably going to be paying seven or $8,000 a month. That can eat up a life savings fairly quickly. And if you're fine now, but 10 years from now, that cost is probably going to be double that. And 10 years from then, it's going to probably double again. So you have to factor that into the equation. So again, good question, multiple possible answers, and it's just going to depend on your circumstances. But I think it's absolutely something that you need to seriously have a conversation with someone about that knows what they're talking about and can show you what the alternatives are. Well, if you're sitting here listening to the podcast and you're thinking to yourself, Oh my gosh, just give me an answer for my situation. I'm sorry, as Charles says, we can't do it. It totally does depend on your unique situation, but you're welcome to reach out to Charles Scott and the team at Peloton Capital Management. He'd be more than happy to take your questions over the phone, to sit down with you in person, and just give you a complimentary review of your situation and help you to find out some of those nitty-gritty details and which method is truly best for you as it pertains to your where you are in life and your needs in retirement. If you'd like to reach out to Charles and his team, you can do so by dialing 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. Charles, as always, thank you for your time. It's been fun. It always is, Mark, with you. So uh, hopefully it was helpful for the folks that were listening and uh, we'll do it again. We will do it again next time on Financial Choices Matter.
Financial planning and investment advisory services are provided by Peloton Capital Management Limited, a state-registered investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No one should assume the information presented here serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized individual advice provided by Peloton Capital Management. For more information, visit www.pelotoncapital.com.